If you'd like to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please consider downloading our free mobile app available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. This is Jack DeRockis, a.k.a. Jack Attack, a.k.a. Gavin Loudspeaker, a.k.a. Loud Obnoxious, and you are about to get lost in the rock rock. Welcome again to Lost and Rewound, the personal audio time capsule extravaganza, streaming here each and every week on Radio Free Brooklyn. My name is Alon Danziger, and I will be your host for this transportation into the past. If you like what you hear this hour, send me a message with some feedback, all right? Lost and Rewound at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. This week I had a chance for a very special one-on-one interview with a dear old friend of mine who has a lot to say. So, we shall waste no time as we get down to it. The following interview is with a very special guest hailing from Baltimore, Maryland and currently residing in Los Angeles, California. He is an actor, a musician, and a comedian. I knew him as a fellow host and stablemate, karaoke brother in arms, effectively with the Brooklyn based The Kings of Karaoke for several years. And he is a legend in the indie wrestling promotion world, working with such outfits as Chikara, Wrestle Circus, Bar Wrestling, and just a little thing called Kaiju Big Battle. Welcome to Lost and Rewound, my man, Jack Doracos. <laughs> Oh, wow. Thanks for not giving my weight. <laughs> announcing me and my, my, my fighting weight. How are you? Doing good, man. Hanging in there, you know? Um, can't really complain, you know? I mean, I've been, health- I've been healthy. I've felt good. I, I don't get sick out here like I used to in New York. Like, you know, I get sick like four times a year when I lived in Brooklyn. My life has cleaned up considerably. I'm nothing like what I used to be. Yes. It's a shadow of my, oh, I'm a shadow. Jack, Jack attack doesn't exist anymore. Like it just, I go to bed like by midnight. I go jogging. <laughs> I don't smoke pot. I used to go to the gym when it was open. Yeah. Um, I meditate and um, you know, that's, I don't drink nothing, none of that. It's all over, man. You really put down everything and moved out there. You put a lot on the line. I know I gave up my record collection. Can you believe that? You gave up all of your records? Yes, and I what? had some really good shit, man. I oh had my. like the good shit. I had sub pop seven inches that were long out of print and just all oh, kind. I had everything, man. Coltrane, Monk, like the uh, Miles Davis, like the Doors. I had everything. Like I, it's gone. I couldn't take it. Like records are the heaviest thing. They're heavier than books. You have a guitar and you still have music equipment. And uh, I did. I brought my guitar. I did bring my guitar. I wasn't willing to part with that. How could you? I mean, that's like a part of your lifeline. No, it's it's an extension of my appendages. <laughs> so, some of them. You've improved your lifestyle. You've improved your uh, just your general being. It wasn't really a choice. It kind of just, you know, because like I moved out here and L.A. is so different from New York City. It's just such a different place everybody is so far away from each other there's no one's very close you don't really make a lot of friends there's no subway where you're just you know everybody's cramped in together like um everyone's cool and i mean not cool in a in a williamsburg way cool in a like 
cold kind of way. And, you know, it's, it's, there's a high turnover. It's transient. It's a high turnover rate. People, no one wants to get close to anybody because they don't think you're going to be around, you know, you're just, you know, and, and it's, and everyone is really disposable and it's superficial and it's, it's the opposite both in terms of coasts and how it is like LA is the opposite of New York. So when I moved here, you know, I just didn't fit in at all. I felt like I, I complete outsider. I look, I just felt like I look different. I'm not a Hollywood type. I'm, you know, really bad at schmoozing. And so, you know, it got lonely and I just, my lifestyle changed. I didn't go out to bars anymore. I didn't have a lot of friends. I spent a lot of time isolated and um, it's very, very isolating. Even before, dude, I was into social distancing way before it was cool. <laughs> and that's kind of what, you know, that's kind of where it is. And I was like, well, what do I do? Well, I guess I go to the gym. Yep. And I got into sitting and I started sitting in a sauna and I started like, you know, swimming. And I, then I started to learn how to meditate and try to control my emotions, you know, and um, control your impulses and stuff. Yeah. Control my impulses and, and just grow the fuck up. <laughs> it's time. To, yeah. It was time to grow up, man. It really was. And I don't want to say it's overdue, but it was, it was right about on time. You know, you had opportunities that you were really taking advantage of for the 15 years you lived in New York city. Is that how long? The 15 years that I lived there before I went, I was, cause I went to NYU I left Baltimore when I was 17. I went to college. And then when I graduated in 96, took me a little while. <laughs> mm-hmm. When I graduated in 96, I moved to Seattle where I lived for four years. Oh, okay. And then I moved to Brooklyn in like 2000. How early in your life were you involved in acting? Oh, so I auditioned for my first play when I was seven. It's a Sound of Music. Cool. R.I.P. Christopher Plummer. Yes, absolutely. Um, All right. And uh, and yeah, yeah. Uh, So um, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. But um, that's where I got the bug. And then I started doing children's theater. So probably around 10 years old is when I started doing that. And then, you know, choir, children's theater. And then, um, you know, local community theater, which became high school theater. And then ironically enough, my senior year of high school, my last play was Sound of Music. (laughs) So it all kind of came full circle. Who did you get to play? By then I had to play Georg, you know. You had seniority. It's okay. You could say it. I I was a senior, (laughs) right? I was was literally the senior. So it was like, I'm not playing Friedrich. My favorite role that I got to play in high school was Tevya, Fiddler on the Roof. Fiddler on the Roof is my favorite a fair play because I never really got to be the lead. That's the only time I really got to carry the whole show, yeah. you know, myself. And it was such a big role. And it was so cool because like, you know, how, uh, how like high school theaters are, it's mostly girls and there's very few, you can get very few guys involved, but Fiddler on the Roof is all dudes. It's just all men. It's an all male, it's a male dominated show. So we had literally every guy we knew we were like picking people out like people who'd never performed ever like even people who didn't even go to school like because get your friends to be in this play because we needed so many guys to to do this show and it just turned it was just so fun to get them all on stage and singing and dancing and wearing fake beards i pretty much just impersonated my dad are your parents uh performing well, no we're greek i mean they're greek of course but my but my father had a like a, this kind of thick greek accent so i kind of just impersonated that thick greek accent and it kind of came across as tevia well how did your parents uh react to uh your involvement as you moved forward in your uh professional career they were very supportive um my mom is a medical technologist so she's not really a, in that world she's always been a choir singer and wanted to sing opera 
but you know how it was back in those days, you know, that wasn't an option. So she just went into medical technology. And my dad was a visual artist. He was a sculptor and he was a painter, but there was nothing they could really do to help, you know, because it wasn't like, it wasn't like it was anything they had experience doing, but they were there. Like they drove me to practice and they drove me to rehearsals and they were, you know, were at every show. And my whole family was kind of like that, you know, like coming from like a working class Baltimore background, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of singing and dancing. The rest of my family owned restaurants and my dad owned a restaurant too. He, he had a pizza place for a little while. So, you know, we're Greeks, we serve food. That's what we do. And I imagine uh, when your father wasn't, you know, helping serve food, maybe it was him or was it some other member of your family or a friend growing up that uh, you would attend wrestling shows with? Describe your first uh, live wrestling experience. Oh man, the greatest night of my life. So my no no, who is uh, in that's in Greek, you call your godparents no 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 no. And my nonna, who was 100% Greek, like he was a captain of a merchant marine ship. So he was just like (laughs) Greek as fuck. Uh, He's the only person that was available who who could take me to this wrestling show. And I had to go because my favorite wrestler, Rowdy Roddy Piper, was wrestling uh, Paul Paul, Mr. Wonderful. Oh, my God. He was my hero. And he still is. 12. I got into wrestling because I was, even as a child, I loved music. My sister was always into rock music and that was the MTV generation. And that was when they were doing the rock and wrestling connection. And they started Hulk Hogan and Cindy Lauper and Mr. T all became friends. They were in each other's videos and then they were on MTV and they, you know, did songs together. And then they did, they made a wrestling album. And that's what really, that the wrestling album, when I bought it and I would just put it on my grandmother's record player and I listened to it over and over and over and over again until I wore it out. Like that's what made me see the connection between pro wrestling and entertainment. And that's where I kind of made that connection. That's when I fell in love with it. Finally, you're seeing it live and you see Rowdy Rowdy Piper versus uh, Mr. Wonderful. Paul Mr. Wonderful. Paul Wonder. Mr. Wonderful. And where, that was in, in Baltimore? A steel, in a steel cage, in a steel Whoa. cage in, at the Amazing. Baltimore Civic Center. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And they also had an awards ceremony for uh, for the like the record had come out. So they were giving out awards for like who sang the best song. (laughs) But it's wrestling, of course. So it's all a work. It's just wonderful that you picked up on the nuances of ring announcers very early on and realized maybe I'm not going to be a wrestler, but I know that I want to do what that person's doing because that takes a lot of gusto. Yeah, and WWE had the best ring announcer ever. His name was Howard Finkel, and he, oh, man. he rest in peace, Howard Finkel. Yes, he yes. was just he was such a pivotal part of that show, and also Mean Gene, who mean would Gene do Okerlund. the backstage, and yeah, Mean Gene Okerlund, who was doing the backstage interviewing. Like they were so crucial; they were the supporting cast. You know, in wrestling, they we have this term. It's like, do you get it? You you either get it or you don't get it, and it's like I just I got it. As a show, everybody plays their role, the ring announcers, the referee, the managers, and, you know, even the crowd, you know, the crowd plays the role of, uh, if you go to back to like ancient Greek theater, the crowd is the chorophyus, you know, they're the chorus, you know, they, they're the ones who say, you know, off with his head or yay, I love him, you know. That's really fascinating that you have that chance to interact with your audience, because whereas one is not necessarily uh, anything more than just performative and enveloping yourself in a role. In this case, you're doing that, but it's very, very hands on with the crowd. Wrestling is different from any other art form because there's no other art form that connects with the audience quite like wrestling. 
It's the only art form where you get immediate feedback. You know what I mean? Something happens and it's called a pop. You know, you hear the crowd go boom and they, and it's either good or it, you botch something and you get boo, you know, it immediately happens. You can, you know, you spill out of the ring and you fall into the, you actually reach out and touch the performer. You know, what other medium of art, like, can you do that? You can't do that. It's not, you know, not stand-up comedy, not a rock concert, not a movie. Like you don't, you only get that in pro wrestling. I did get to meet Roddy Piper, which is that's amazing, uh, which was awesome because like way, way, way later, fast yeah. forward, I'm in New York, I'm living in New York. And, you know, when I was doing Chikar and stuff, I also did a lot of indie shows in the New York City area. And there was a promotion in Queens called Fight the World Wrestling. They brought in Roddy to do a meet and greet, you know, just to sign autographs and stuff. He was done wrestling. Uh, it's tradition in wrestling when you're in the locker room, like you introduce yourself to every single person you see because you have no idea who they are. You don't know how important, you don't know who, they could be the son of the promoter. They could be anybody. So you, you just go through and say, hi, I'm Jack. Hi, I'm Jack. Hi, I'm Jack. You, you introduce yourself to every single person. So I walk up to this guy who's got like a track suit on and, uh, you know, I kind of walk up to him. He turns around. I'm like, hi, I'm Jack. I'm the ring. And, I, and it's Roddy Piper. I didn't know what to say. I was just like, I'm the ring announcer. You know, if you need anything, you let me know. You want me to promote something for you? I tell you, tell the you, you just let me know. It's anything you want. You got it. He's like, oh man, thank you, thank you very much. This is my son Colt, and I introduced he introduced me to his son, and and I got to meet him. I thank the fucking Lord. I got to meet. I didn't. I was too. I didn't want to come across as a mark. You know, like a super fan or a. So I didn't. I didn't get to tell him like what he meant to me, and I regret that. I regret not being able to say, Hey man, like you are everything to me. You, your poster was on my wall and my life is modeled after you. You know, you're the reason I'm standing here. I wanted to say that, but I didn't. And I just, that's my one regret. Hair is something uh, that's always been a huge attribute. I, I give you credit for early on realizing uh, that being involved in wrestling for as long as you have been, uh, it gives you a real opportunity to mess with your hair a lot. To um, let your hair down? Yeah, let your hair down, man. Uh, well, I got lucky. I got lucky that. because, you know, ring announcers are normally like real straight lace, short, clean cut kind of look, clean shaven, you know, the suit and tie. That's the traditional ring announcer. And I just got lucky with Kaiju and even with Chikara. They just let me do what I want. So I took the role and I, you know, messed with it a little bit. And um, and in Chikara, we, I got the moniker, the rock and roll ring announcer. You know, when I would announce somebody, I would scream it like I was the front man of a band. Yeah, that's where well, I come from. I would even open shows with music and stuff like that because yes. that's where I came from. So I felt that was being authentic. That was being organic with who I am. I'm not Howard Finkel. I'm not Michael Buffer. You know, I had to bring my own. I mean, I respect. I definitely there are huge influences, yeah. and I tried to bring that because I didn't want to mess with the role. You yeah, know, the role of ring announcer is important, but I wanted to bring my own sort of style to it um, and make it fun for myself and for everybody else. You were doing something party. completely different. It's a party. It's a party because it's a party, man. You know, I wanted yeah. to be the party host. The first clip we're going to be listening to uh, is you in 2010 doing a little bit of a promo for Kaiju Big Battle. Uh, to, for somebody who doesn't know what Kaiju Big Battle is, it's basically just wrestling as uh, monsters and as uh, like otherwise, you know, Godzilla type of characters. But it's a whole league of created right. monsters. They, they, they tried to, they, the wrestling show was just more like, that's the way we transitioned it to a live event. You know what I mean? But Kaiju yeah. tried to exist, especially early on as another entity. They were very early on in the, uh, in the internet, you know, with their website and merchandising and making videos and DVDs and podcasts. And they were very, 
very early on with all that because they really wanted to create that Ultraman Godzilla universe that you could imagine in your mind and see. And then when you come to the show, then it's a wrestling show because, you know, we had to make it so that we could do something live, you know. Now you can't crush real buildings, so you crush cardboard buildings. Precisely, and it's a brilliant concept that really had some staying power uh, because of just uh, the cult status that it it, uh, developed over the years. How did you get enlisted into the kaiju universe? It was just kismet. Like I just moved from Seattle to New York City. My band had just broken up. Um, It was a really harsh time for me. I was depressed. I felt lost. I didn't know if I wanted to continue playing music. I didn't know what I was going to do. Plus, I was back in New York now, and I had just left all my friends, and it was confusing. And all I really knew was that I just really loved wrestling. So I kind of just, you know, wrestling sort of became my life at that point. Like, it was all I kind of cared about. And a friend of mine, bless his soul, he emailed me the website he's like look at this this is a monster wrestling show that they do in boston can you believe this this is crazy and i saw it and i was like this this i'm gonna i don't care what i don't care if i have to sell popcorn i will be part of this and i got right on it i emailed uh the the guy who was the manager basically and i'm like what do i gotta do to bring you guys to brooklyn like i need to be part of this and It just so happened they were having auditions that weekend for performers, you know, people who could possibly maybe wear a monster costume or do something else. And so I got on a Greyhound and I went up to Boston and I auditioned. And out of everybody who auditioned that day, I'm the one who they ended up using. And I got got the role of ring announcer and I hung on to it with a death grip. Like, (laughs) no one's taking this from me. This is mine. Let's take a a listen or or a watch for us, but a listen to uh, fresh faced and uh, not so long hair, but more of a kind of a an indie 26 years old, 27 years old. (laughs) Yeah, the this is a entitled the Kaiju Championship explained. It's not just people's fezzes that we have stashed away down here in Area 57. We've got lots of important items that the commissioner felt we needed to save. Why we've got uh, we've got the United States Constitution down here somewhere. Uh, I've got the complete box set of Simon and Simon. Uh, Ah, yes. Right here, we have the Kaiju Grand Championship. Awesome! That's right, babe. It is awesome. But most people are ignorant to exactly why the Kaiju Grand Championship is so powerful. The undefined power of the Kaiju Championship title is surprisingly simple. The owner of the championship will always perform at 100% of their potential at least 80% of the time with a 30% chance of precipitation. Now those are odds I would want to go into a fight with. But of course there's a catch, because with such great power comes great responsibility. Power corrupts. We all know that. Beef, uh, you really shouldn't be touching the championship belt. Why don't you give that back to me? You're starting to scare me. Give me that belt, boy, Beaver! Don't touch what doesn't belong to you! The evil Dr. Cube. That is a very iconic kaiju big battle character uh, that goes... It's interesting, right, that like the the most iconic character in the whole universe is the villain you know i think that's really funny 
what was it like filming that? I mean, you were just surrounded by, I mean, just like hundreds. Okay, so the of guy, monster right, toys. the guy who, yeah, the guy who came up with Kaiju Big Battle was, you know, of course, legitimately a humongous fan of Godzilla movies and Ultraman. So he, his, in his whole life, his wife is Japanese, so they'd go to Japan all the time, and he would just hoard all of these plastic toys, these, these, all these kaijus. He was the biggest fan I've ever met, and he just boxes and but that wasn't even that that wasn't even one percent of his collected legitimately not even percent of his collection and he just had it all you know and so that was that was really his stuff that's all real vintage uh japanese manga and anime crap were you big at all into like uh, monster stuff at all the monster monster stuff stuff. i was into (laughs) it but like um i've always been a japanophile i love Uh, japanese culture i love manga my biggest of course, Japanese wrestling is huge in Japan. I've been to Japan twice. So, hey, um, very good. And uh, I saw wrestling both times I was there. That sounds and also life changing. Um, life. Oh, my God. Uh, Japan is the best. And so I love anime and manga. And one of my heroes, if I was going to say Roddy Piper and Kurt Cobain, my number three would be he's sort of the Walt Disney of Japan. His name is Osama Tezuka. And he created Astro Boy and millions and millions of other uh mangas that eventually became animes and um he's so yeah he's like their walt disney they call him the god of manga so you really just mixed all of these uh, yeah it was beautiful everything that you're into that's what i'm saying like how did this happen right like how can you not believe in god like how can there not be a plan (laughs) here like it mixed every single thing that I love into one thing, you know, and then um, I got the emo haircut and you just jump right in. More with Jack Darakis right after this quick word from RFB. This is Lost and Rewound. Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air. Support independent community media by pledging whatever you can. All contributions are tax-deductible to the fullest extent of the law. Please support with a monthly pledge or one-time donation at radiofreebrooklyn.org slash donate. When did you get involved with Chikara? In 2008, 2007, 2007. Yeah, like middle 2007. Okay. It was a crossover, actually, because the creator of Chikara was very open to pushing the envelope for Chikara. What, what Chikara does, it what, what, like almost like experimental theater, you know, making it funnier, making it wackier. And he was a fan of kaiju. Chikara's WrestleMania is called King of Trios. And it's a tournament where, you know, there's tri- a trio is a team of three. It comes from Mexico. It's a, tr- it's a Mexican tradition. Lucha mm-hmm. Libre. Yeah. Comes from, so they bring in 16 trios from all over the world, Mexico, Japan, like all over the country. And um, he wanted a, a kaiju trio to be in. And then I was sort of the liaison for that. And I came in and I re- ring announced for the kaiju team and, um, and just try to ingratiate myself backstage. And to my surprise, um, he was into it. And um, Kaiju sort of had, you know, a, li- a little role in Chikara from then on. Dr. Q would make cameo appearances and things like that. But he was looking for a ring announcer just like me. I don't know why, but he was. And I lucked out again a second time and, um, and became doing, a ring announcer. Yeah, you were also doing commentary uh, with Chikara too. And I'm wondering which... Did you feel more comfortable with? Did you did you I like doing the play by play? 
oh, I loved it. It was my dream. I, I didn't know that they were going to let me do it. But Chikara had a rotating staff of commentators. So they would just bring people in and let people sit down and see who worked well together. And, you know, I was just so into it. And I already knew, you know, watching wrestling your whole life, it was like, it felt like second nature to me. You know, I already kind of knew basically how to do it. But, you know, it took some practice and I matched up well with pretty much everybody they put me with. I could work off of them, you know. So I would just learn here and there, like the, the nuances of what a commentator does, because it's more than just reacting big to a move. You're, you're telling a story, essentially. You're the narrator. So in wrestling, there's key elements to the match, like this guy injured his ankle, and that's going to play into the finish of this match. So you need to really talk about how this guy's ankle is injured. You know, and it's, Yeah, and double down on that like for that. sure. Yeah, Right. You, you learn little things like that as you do commentary. You learned it, the storytelling aspect of it. It was like going to wrestling school. It was, And I was learning from the best. I learned from the best people. I'm so grateful. Quick question. Your top commentator team of all time. One, My favorite? Yeah, your favorite. Vince McMahon and Jesse the Body Ventura. Uh. <laughs> they were the best in my opinion because that's you know you love you love what you watched as a kid you know what i mean like that's gonna always everybody's gonna be like whatever they grew up with is what they loved and for me it's saturday night's main event like the one night saturday night live wasn't on and all of a sudden it's wrestling Mm -hmm. and there's vince and you know this giant bodybuilder you know with a feather boa (laughs) and a jewel in his chin (laughs) and i'm just like yeah, and it was just, I loved the way they worked off it. And I loved the way Vince McMahon, he was just so over the top. So, and that's where Loud and Not, the name Loud and Noxious comes from the way Vince McMahon conducted himself. He was just so loud and obnoxious. <laughs> that's yep. just kind of how it is. Oh, oh my God, I can't believe he did that. You know, so was, I just sort of played on that. Explain a little bit how you got the name Gavin Loudspeaker. Well, see, I had to change my name because um, well, uh, right. Chikar wanted the, to change the gimmick because. They wanted to not have any problems with Kaiju, who was that's also fine. very protect. Kaiju's no, also very protective. That's of, fine of their of their gimmicks. So um, so I just changed. I tweaked the gimmick, and instead of doing the loud and noxious character, who was more of like a parody of Vince McMahon, I became more of like you know I tried to become more of like a I don't know. I I, I saw him as sort of this washed up rock and roll guy who still thought he was a rock star but you know now he's a ring announcer and you know in in his mind you know he's david lee roth but you know to everybody else he's you uh would intro every event and sing a cover of a song you would sing sorry you would sing a parody uh, i would quote unquote i I would weird al a song (laughs) you would weird Right. I mean, I, that should be yeah. in the Urban Dictionary. It should. Sure. Sure. No, I mean, you put the Weird Al spin, albeit all more or less just based um, on Shakara lore, using Shakara based lyrics uh, to, in, in, you know, to influence uh, your parodies. And you would continue to do this as a part of your stick moving forward in the years. Talk about consistency. But you may have had like a few good and maybe a couple of, you know, not so good uh, moments. A <laughs> couple of them were awesome. Yes. Most of them were just kind of like, eh, let's, they didn't, you know. They didn't, they didn't hit. They, like they were just waiting for the show. People were just waiting for the show to start. And then a couple of them were just downright like okay. bombed. <laughs> like, well, okay. So. Let's see here. Uh, which, um, uh, okay. So Scornucopia. Yeah, Scornocopia was the retro show. So it's like they were doing your gimmick from when they first started. You know what I mean? So they were wearing the <laughs> outfit that they first wore when they first were, you know what I mean? It's so like, when, I like wore... basketball teams are wearing like throwback jerseys. <laughs> exactly right. You like, it's like a throwback classic. 
And I wore my loud and noxious outfit too. Cause I was, I want to, you know, I was just throwing, I was, I wanted to be a throwback too. It was like when like the Orioles old, decided old to, school, I guess they call it old school these days. The, the Orioles uh, gave uh, their original seventies uh, uh, design, a uh, hat design instead of the one that they adopted in the nineties. That's like, which is the it, one I remember because that's the one when they won the world's the yeah. only time they won the world series in my life was in 1985 so okay so we're about to hear uh you singing something that you created for a crowd and you are playing it for a wrestling crowd and it this is from 2010 this is november 20th 2010 oh boy in easton pennsylvania Jesus. are you ready where does time fly let's get ready to bum no no to bumble no that doesn't make any sense alon to acoustically play the guitar Let's get ready to acoustically play the guitar. It is called I Love Rock and Roll slash I Hate Rock and Roll. (laughs) Interesting, right? Yeah. Without someone screaming at me But uh, I just can't turn it off You made me, yeah You made me, yeah You made me, Sammy, that's the name of the young lady who was my mic stand for that, for that and almost every other song I did. Uh, she was a student and that was like her job. And she did it with a smile on her face. God Commitment, bless man. her. Yeah. God bless Sammy. Damn. I, you oh, know, you're watching. Okay. I love that's you. On, 
let's unpack this. Um, because you are in a business where you just have to fucking go in 150% and commit to everything. And that's when the, where the best personalities uh, really shine, but you're doing this as a, a pre-show for the actual main event. And you're basically doing it to like warm people up and to get people, uh, in, in, you know, excited more or less and you know maybe loosening them up a little bit the concept came from uh actually the harlem globetrotters because uh the harlem globetrotters i don't know if you've ever seen a show it's amazing i highly recommend if if they ever go on tour again yeah it's basically pro wrestling but it's kayfabe basketball it's absolutely kayfabe basketball it's, it, it's kayfabe basketball so when you go to a harlem globetrotter show and you walk in the door it, the show's already begun. There's a guy walking around the basketball court. There's a DJ playing music. There's a dude throwing out free stuff into the audience. He's pulling kids onto the court. They're doing dance contests. They're shooting basketballs. They're having, you know, little fun, little fun games and stuff like this. It is all the show's already begun. And then and then even after that, there's another pre-show that they do before the game starts. So it's just this really fun atmosphere that you're as soon as you walk into the room, there's already an event happening. And that's kind of where where the idea came to do the song because the song went on, you know, the show just started at at, at seven thirty. The song went on at you know seven fifteen, seven o'clock. If you're watching the crowd, you know what gonna, what's going to get them. And in this case, in the capacity of getting back to this particular performance, you knew that ragging on TNA and Michael Cole would definitely win over the crowd. Right. That's a case of know your audience. Exactly. And it's you know, fantastic. And, I, and I, I had been doing Chikara for a couple of years by that point. So I, you know what I mean? So I, I might not have been as savvy as when I first started, but I, at that point I knew it was going to make them laugh. And um, so that's, of course, yeah, dude, all you have to say is I hate Michael Cole and everyone's going <laughs> to lose their, yeah. Like that's all I had to say. Um, let's talk about dedication. Um, we were just saying, you know, we have to kind of go in 150% um, no matter what. Sometimes it doesn't go so great. You had this one in mind, and I'm curious what is going through your head before. Sometimes, we... well, because just because sometimes <laughs> you're just like, let me just try, let me just try something different, you know. And yeah. I'm just, I just, you know, and I just kind of, I was like, you know, I want to, I want to see if I can do something that's a combination between a cheerleader cheer <laughs> and and uh, and uh, and the song Rubber Band Man, oh, and I tried God. to combine the two. You know, I tried to combine the two to see uh-huh. if it would work. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And it's at least it's funny. <laughs> All right, here we go. This is from uh, January 28, twenty twelve. Uh, an event called the Thirteenth Hat in Easton, Pennsylvania. Help me out, Scott. Drive me crazy. Come to Chikara and get a little crazy with 
R-A-T-Kara. Hey, hey, Chikara. Hey, hey, and Easton, PA. Now you drive me crazy. Come to Chikara and join our little party with a seat. Hey, Shake today. Chikara, hey, hey, Chikara, hey, hey, when I say Halloween, y'all say right for Halloween, Halloween, and I say Connie, y'all say Aunt Connie, Connie, when I say Campiones, y'all say Parejas, Campiones, Campiones, when I say Archibald Peck, y'all say his lovely assistant Veronica. Yes. I believe you failed. All right, that one didn't work so great. We're learning, we're learning. And we're let's see. Hey, Shock Hey, 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 Chikara. Encore. Encore. Chikara. Chikara. Deserved an encore. Deserved an encore. Chikara. Chikara. That was painful. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, you know, I, it, you know, I, I, I really, bottom line, dude, I, I bottom, love you. I appreciate you so much. The for bottom doing that. line is th they were there for a wrestling show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so like, you know, that's the bottom line. Not, so like they were not there, there for call and response. And man. they're right. They're waiting for a wrestling show to start. And this in is a gymnasium they, in fluorescent lighting, in a gymnasium with, the fluorescent lighting and basketball hoops and uh -huh. a tarp on the floor, you know, so to their credit, you know, um, they didn't throw anything at me. This was just so special. First of all, if anybody who's hearing this is ever curious to watch uh, through the archives uh, of the years, uh, you know, there's uh, a couple of Chikara channels on YouTube. Uh, and this one, um, if I may name it, uh, because it's it is out there. Um, you can, they can go to YouTube and the Chikara special, the Chikara um, special, C-H-I-K-A-R-A -A special. Uh, and, uh, you know, th there are these videos of which you can see you in the ring most of the time. Uh, and this time around, you decided to just circle the ring. And I, you know, when you I'm watching you here in this moment and you're looking at your hand, which I guess I must have the words so that you can. It had a couple, <laughs> had a couple words on it. It had so that was it was your so, way of it was pretty deliberate. It was my backup plan. Yeah, it was still very deliberate. And I mean, there's a certain kind of uh, thing that happens when you get caught and you know you have to commit to and you can't stop. You're like your body just tenses up and your body just looked like it had tensed up, but you continued to do it. And I applaud that. Thank you, man. I wasn't sure it was going to get over, but like. I didn't think that they were going to think it was that weird. You know, I thought it was just going to be funny and yeah. maybe people were going to, I thought they were going to at least laugh, you yeah, know, yeah, if yeah, nothing yeah, yeah. else. But they were like, this guy has mental illness. We can't <laughs> laugh at him. Yeah. No, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's they were, <laughs> so they just sort of kind of like, 
you know, we love you, Jack, but mm, you know, a for it's like it's a, oh a for God. effort as the best way to put oh it. I think. Yeah. Ouch. Right. <sighs> no, it's so. Uh, this, see, this is why we do this show. This is why we do this because we're, we're not all all supposed to uh, have the the best moments, but they some of those uh, less than memorable moments are still captured. And uh, I think they appreciated can... that I was. I think they appreciated that I was willing to show my vulnerability. Maybe. Uh, so I think dude, that was maybe part of it. I wore my heart on my sleeve. I recall when you started training to get in the ring. And I this was this was a pivotal moment for you. Um, could you talk about the things that led up to you being involved in uh, your first ever so far? Your you only match. What's that? You see that? It's a separated shoulder, my friend. Oh, my God, um, dude. It was rough, man. Training is hard. Wrestling's hard. And yes. I my head, I don't give a crap who you are it's hard and train and anybody who gets in there and trains dude my hat's off to you i respect you you know because it hurts it's painful and it's a lot of work it's more than just an understanding how to perform or how to how to pop a crowd or getting the you know or reacting to the audience or being charismatic it's so much more than that you know you've really got to be an athlete you've established yourself by this point as the ring announcer as the commentator as like one of the guys behind the scenes you're you've been hosting podcast to go go at this point this, at the one point the longest running podcast online but here we are now in this angle what transpired with you and Tim Donst was the uh, wrestler's name to get you to a place where you had a feud with him? Tim Donst was a character that he was kind of complex. Like at first he was a, a baby face. So he was very popular and everybody loved him. He's always, he was always really passionate in his promos and he was a, like kind of a, a amateur wrestler background. So he was um, very technical and proficient. Um, but, uh, and then when he was that way, we were, on screen, we were really good friends. We would, he was someone who would pal around with me and, and it was kind of known that we were buddies and we had another friend named Hydra and the three of us would play music together and we were like pals, you know, like the three amigos. Uh, so that, so they kind of knew that we were friends that had this background, but then he turns bad guy, heel. He, he makes, he does what's called a heel turn. And, um, you know, and he becomes bitter and angry. You know, why haven't I gotten my due? How come no one appreciates me? His character saw me as like the representation, the symbolic representation of the Chikara fans that weren't appreciating him. And it was my fault because I was sort of the ringleader. They would cheer me and they would get behind me and 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 and, and it disgusted him. Was so and I hate Gavin Loudspeaker. He pisses me, you know, he represents everything that's wrong with wrestling. So one show in uh, I think it was in Atlanta, you know, he'd been bullying me. He'd done he'd done a lot of he came onto the podcast, he slapped me in the face, he did a lot of bullying. So to get revenge, I distracted him during a match and enabled his opponent. Her name was Saturine, she's a female wrestler, and she pinned him, you know. So he was livid that I had done this. He grabs me by the hair. He pulls me up onto his shoulders and he gives me his move, just delivers his move right in the middle of the ring, knocks me unconscious. And then while I'm on the ground, like out cold, he gets over me, cuts a promo and then cuts my hair and sticks it in his mouth. Oh my! So, God. and then he kept doing it in different parts of my hair. So my hair kept getting more and more fucked up looking like every time it just, he just kept messing it up more and more and more like chunks of hair missing. And, Yikes. um, and, uh, and 
yeah, so that was, and then, you know, you don't touch the hair. So anyway, um, finally, I'm like, look, back off, Don. You know, I publicly say, hey, look, man, back off. I'm not a wrestler, okay? Don't touch me. I'm the ring announcer. I'm precious. I'm cute. You stay away from me. But the at the time, the the acting commissioner of Chikara was this was that was also a heel character, uh-huh. and he was trying to ruin Chikara. It was this dickhead kind of guy, and and his name was Wink Vavasur, and he did not like me. So he was like, "Well, hey, Gavin, I saw you because I there was this other character that I g- did gave a wrestling move to at one point, and it's a different story. But like, I had done this wrestling move on this other character that was also kind of a, a heely ring announcer sort of dude." And he was like, well, which is it, man? I saw you give a wrestling move to this guy. You know, are you a wrestler or are you a ring announcer? You know, which one is it? I think you're kind of, you seem like a wrestler to me. So he books this match between me and Dunst, knowing full well that I'm going to get killed. You know, that's how that kind of came about. And then I had to go into the Chikar Wrestle Factory and train so I could get in the ring with him and, you know, fight for my life and my job and the spirit of chikara <laughs> the, 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 the whole match is available to be seen online it should be it's hilarious and also just fascinating to watch you performing some truly fantastic moves i mean really i tip my hat to you sir because some of these moves are not easy let's just play the conclusion and see just how you fared against this uh seasoned vet if you will in his own right this is from 2013 june tw- june, june 2nd june june 1st june 2nd? june 1st oh, june 2013 2nd. and this is in philadelphia at anniversary oh, oh and by the way oh and by the way by the, the way stakes were even higher because this is what is called a lucha de apuesta which means uh there's something on the line and it was a it's hair the hair versus yeah. hair versus hair so the loser was gonna get their head shaved oh boy let's find out what happened anniversario never compromised philadelphia at the trocadero well gavin here finally starting to stir Donst is still up on that top rope but he is out And Jakob left. He just walked out the front door, abandoning Dunst. Veronica out there attending to Steve the Turtle Weiner. Look at Gavin now up to his feet. He sees Dunst. I'm sure at this point he could just very easily pull him down off the top rope and cover him for the victory, I would think. Fans referencing to the tattoo. Gavin barely able even to walk here. What is he? He's just gonna pull Dons down, I'm sure. Folks, I don't know if this is the widest course of action here for Gavin. Sure, Donst might be out on his feet, but he has taken a long time. Well, Gavin's got that quiver in his leg. And Wink, what do you think of your match now, I guess? Well, I'm not going to say I looked foolish because it's not over yet. You can do it! You can do it! Oh, Gavin, what's he, what's he doing here, Wink? He's all the way up on the top rope. This seems like a fool's gambit. Honestly, it seems like a fool's gambit. 
I can't believe this. I am speechless. Gavin just needs to drape the arm. There you go. And history repeats itself. Dogs has lost again one year to the day. He's going to have his head shaved. And then I had to be carried to the back. <laughs> How much piss was uh, beaten out of you? God damn. He let me have it, dude. You didn't show the opening part of that match where he just clotheslines the shit out of me. Yeah, he, no, you he, took he, a fucking he, like I go inside this. out, dude. I go inside out. And he knocked, I was knocked out for like maybe one second. So it like I went black and then I came back and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm still here. But wow, it was like, whoa. And then I asked him, I was like, because we, you know, we'd kind of worked it out. And I was like, why did you fucking hit me? Like, why did you do, why did you do it? Like with every, like, he's like, because he's like, you were kind of a little too low. <laughs> he's like, you're kind of a little too low. So I kind of scared that you weren't gonna take the bump. So I just really just, I just, I just laid it in. And uh, he's one of my best friends in the whole world. So like, I just can't thank him enough for, for giving me that. He gave me that. That's like, oh, yeah. that was a gift. That, that was, was a gift. gift. You climb the top rope. He is inexplicably knocked out cold but like on the top rope on the top turnbuckle because like one of because one seven of, minutes because one of his associates is one of his associates one of his uh his stable mates right like he had this crew of like cronies yeah. that were following him around he was he would abuse them right so one of them was one of them was kind of well known for having a right hand that that you know could knock people out and he'd pushed him too far at this point so that dude cold cocks him and uh and that's why he's knocked out for seven minutes enabling me to get up and um and, and do and, the and unthinkable the turnbuckle yeah the turnbuckle deliver a, a superplex which was weird because like we didn't know what because when we were kind of thinking about what are we, how we're we gonna do like how are we gonna finish this match i told him that like i i had had a dream like before i had wrestled a match ever i had a dream a real dream like and at night i was like oh it was this weird dream where like i was in a wrestling match and they're like jack we're gonna do a we're gonna do a superplex and i was like a superplex i don't know how to do a superplex it's like I, i've never done one i don't know how to do it and i told Donst about the dream and then he's like well then that's the finish that's going to be the finish of the match like we, yeah. we have to he's like we have to that has to be the finish and i didn't like i don't know if i can do that but we tried it like maybe once and um and i was like i'm not doing it i'm not doing it again unless we're actually like in the ring like i you know what i mean i'm not doing it again you know what i mean i'm not, not practicing yeah. that you know we're gonna do it one more time you know it's pretty awesome it was so appropriate that the match took place at the Trocadero, you know, because normally, you know, we're like, I so saw you saw that gymnasium and like, you know, like VFW halls. And that's like the normal setting for Chikara. But like, you know, we that just ha that show was an eye. It was an eye pay-per-view, which just happened to be at the Trocadero. And that's a line in a pavement song where they say Trocadero, say goodnight. You know what I mean? So like it was it was it was the perfect place to to have my match like it was it was this legendary rock venue in philadelphia that i'd always wanted to perform in you know as a musician i'd always wanted to perform. i never got to but i did get to have my wrestling match there so it was um super sweet yeah it was something else something else um it's, it's a high that i can't really describe one of my best friends what there well, he's actually in the wwe right now he's in a tag team that's in nxt I think now they're called Ever Rise, but in Chikara, they were called 3.0. And his name is Scott Parker. And he was like, you know, when I saw you after that match 
it made me remember why I love wrestling to see you be that lit up and turned on by what you'd just done. Like that reminded me why I do wrestling and it, and it lit a fire under me and made me fall in love with it all over again. And I thought that was, you know, that was about the biggest compliment I could get. While you do have a lot of these clips in the Chikara universe on YouTube, which is uh, wildly popular and uh, abundant, shall I say, you are uh, doing uh, plenty of videos that are not wrestling related. Um, could you tell the people or the one person listening, whomever it may be, hello, mom, uh, who, uh, uh, what, what you were up to uh, lately and uh, what can someone expect uh, from your current offerings? My YouTube channel is Jack Darakis. And um, on it, I would I have I have you know a, a vlog that I was doing for a while. It was called Jobber, which is a wrestling term. Yep, a jobber is the guy who loses every week, you know, to the superstar. And that's kind of how I felt when I got to LA. I'm like, I'm you know here I I'm starting from the bottom. I'm a jobber. So it was sort of like my experiences in LA trying to find who I was you know what's my role here what I'm not quite an actor yet I'm not a comedian yet I'm no longer in a band like what am I you know um and it, it was confusing so I just sort of dealt with it by putting together this show and that's that's how I learned how to use uh, Adobe Premiere you know <laughs> like learned how to edit and stuff and I kind of just tried to throw everything I could in there like with the I would do a ukulele cover at the end of a of a of a 90s alternative hit that you know or something and some stand-up clips and I would try to do a remote segment and and I, it was it was just kind of a mishmash of stuff it was hard to sort of pinpoint exactly what it was um but they're all on there so it's you can see my progression uh, of, of, of my life here in LA. Um, but from here on out, uh, I'm pretty much going to be concentrating on music. So uh, it's going to be a YouTube channel that's I'm going to center on music and you know, talking about music, playing music. And um, eventually, like, I'm going to be releasing more music because that's what I'm doing right now. I'm recording and, and writing songs. So you've got uh, your YouTube page of which uh, people can go to uh, Jack D O U R A K O S. What we have gotten to cover on this episode of lost and rewound is some truly, truly remarkable uh, sounds from a very important part of your life. Even still, what truly is uh, meaningful to me is, is that I feel like I got to know you so much more than I thought I knew you when this interview started, Jack. Um, so thank Aww. you for opening up and for uh, allowing to re and reintroduce your vulnerability uh, to me in a much different fashion. Um, this has been a fantastic hour. Thank you, my man. Well, Elon, I want to thank you, man, because first of all, it was so nice to have you come on here and like go back over all that, all that important stuff that I, this, some of this stuff I haven't, some of this stuff I haven't talked about in years, you know? So it's so beautiful to just share it and like now you know all like I talk about nothing being documented well now it is you know so thank you for helping me get this out to the world you know if something god forbid happens to me you know someone's gonna know about it Jack Darakos uh this week's guest on Lost and Rewound a true mensch of a man and quite the sexy Greek still to this day after all these years you still maintain that my friend thank you Elon gunslinger love you man and that will about do it for this edition. Be sure to check out our archives up on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. And our main page for all 200-plus episodes is, as always, radiofreebrooklyn.org slash L-A-R. 
This has been episode 246 of Lost and Rewound. Come back again next week as we provide you with new sounds from the distant past. This is Alon signing out, reminding you all to practice kindness as we all get through this rotten winter together. Bye-bye. With a spoon If he was if he was from Mars That'd be cool Standing right on campus Or would he stamp us In a file Hanging down in Memphis For a while Put this together Children, Children by the million Sang for Alex Chilton When he comes, comes around, around. They sing I'm, I'm in love, love. What's that song? Yeah, I'm, I'm in, in love, love with that song. Cerebral raping pillage in a village of his, of his choice. choice. Visible man who's singing in a visible voice. Feeling like a hundred bucks. Changing face to face. Taking a sash by the trap at St. Mark's Place. Children by the million sing for Alex Chip when he comes around. I'm in love. Oh, what's that song? I'm in love. Oh, with that song. I never travel far without a big star. Big star. See, the problem is, is that Zoom has a lag. And then, like, I haven't, but, like... And the music, it, it, when, when we sing together, the music goes down so good. We should, like, do, like, studio tricks and, like, do our lyrics and... Anyway. Running, running around the house. Mickey Mouse. Tarot, tarot cards. cards. Falling asleep with, with a flop flop video if he was from Venus, would he meet us on the moon? If he died in Memphis, that'd be cool. That'd be cool, babe. Children by the millions, wait for Alex to come, come around. around. They, sing, they sing, I'm in uh, love. What's that, that song? I'm in love with that song. I'm in love. love. What's that that song? song? Yeah, I'm I'm in love. love. With With that that song. song. Oh, Paul Westerberg. (laughs) And the and the.
Minneapolis, it's just Minnesota. Not the same. It's just not the same as live. I'm I I, I long for the it's day not. that we'll be able to do this live again it's not. in some capacity. It, it, and the Zoom. Is yeah, so we have to do that again the proper way because we we owe it to we owe it to Paul Westerberg and we owe it to Chris Mars and you know we owe it to Tommy Stinson and we owe it to Alex Chilton 